You guys ready? All right. We got a lot to get into today, so I hope you guys are ready to... Uh, we're not going to like be meandering like those people in that video. We're going to be like jogging, okay? So you guys okay with that? Okay. There's a lot going on. God is doing good things. You guys, you guys ready for it? Um, I want to start out by just saying something, and this is going to kind of set up where we're going to get today. But um, do you know that when you gave your life to Jesus, when he met you, when you encountered him, and there's so much that goes on in that, can't unpack all of that, but he gave you a heart of worship. He gave you a heart of worship, right? And so it's not a matter of like somehow we have to, um, it's not that we have to grow into it, that somehow we got to get better at it. It's that we just got to get better at uncovering it because it's already there, right? I mean, he gave you a love for Jesus you can't get away from if you know him. And so um, I, want, I want to lay that out because that's kind of the backdrop that we want to start with. That's where we want to start in this book of uh, even when we go to the Old Testament, we go to Zechariah, that's where we're going to be. We're in this new series, and we want to talk about what kind of we're going to look at. What is it, um, what is God doing to uncover us? And that's really where we're going with this whole series. Um, how can we uncover that heart uh, better? So um, how many of you guys have ever had uh, the, the experience of um, where you found how crucial it is that when you measure things out, you have the right measuring like device? You guys are, okay, for example, for example, um, how many of you guys have ever had pancakes that were made with tablespoons instead of teaspoons when it came to something like salt? Because <laughs> I've made those. Um, when we were kids, <laughs> I'm drawing directly from my own experience here, because when we were kids, uh, we, you, know, you have TBS and you have the TS or something, you know, whatever it is, tablespoons, and, and we're going, I don't know what these are, and so we just grab, let's use the big one, right? So you dump those in. Rough experience, right? Absolutely, why? Because measurements actually matter. It matters how we measure things, it matters the units of measure, um, that, that really does matter matter. Um, today's passage from Zechariah, we're going to get into all kinds of stuff about, about measuring stuff out, about the measurements that, that God wants for our lives and about how we go at that. Now, um, in getting into that, I want to give you a layout of where we're going. Okay, we're going we're gonna to kind of, the, the intro just kind of get us into this thing, talking about the passage, pick apart the passage. I want to show you a little, kind of give you the background for it, because that's the backdrop. Then we're going to take it apart a little bit, but then um, I really want to lean in at the end which is uh, what that has to do with us and these measurements that God has for us, okay? So that's where we're gonna go. So let's stand together. Uh, we're gonna start out Zechariah 2, 1 through 10. And so I, I wanna, I'm gonna kind of take pauses in here as we're going through just to tell you what's going on. The, the, God's people have been in captivity for 70 years. They're finally back home. They're waiting. They're kind of pushing into trying to reestablish what God is doing. And this is Zechariah, and he's a prophet. He's, been, he's come to tell them, uh, God is doing a good thing and he's rebuilding and he's with you. So um, he's having a vision. He says, I lifted my eyes up and behold, there was a man with a measuring line uh, in his hand. And so I said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to measure out Jerusalem to see how wide it is and how long it is. And we're gonna find out it's because God's going to be um, bringing all his people back and he's making sure he's got enough room, right? So God's a planner too. Um, and behold, the angel uh, was speaking with me. He was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, and he said, run and speak to that young man again, right? And he said, uh, saying that Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of people and cattle within it. 
So walls were one of these crucial things in the old, you know, in those days, because they'd protect you. But he says, but it will be without walls for I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst. So God's saying, one of the things about this that's gonna be different is I'm gonna be living with them, okay? I'm gonna be living with them. I'm gonna be the one that protects them. I'm gonna be the one around them. So then he says, ho there, free, uh, flee from the land of the north. God is scattered. He had 10 tribes he scattered to the north, to Assyria. And he's talking to them here because he's gonna pull them back in. Uh, Those to the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. And then he says, Hosein, escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon, because the southern kingdom had also been taken into captivity. He's going to pull them back in. So he's pulling everybody back in. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after establishing the glory that he talked about by showing up in their midst, he sent me against those nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Did you guys know that that's how God sees us? I mean, it's like when, when somebody pokes you, it's like poking him in the eye. And if you've ever been poked in the eye, you're really protective of your eye, right? For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will become plunder for their own slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And then listen to this part, because this is part of the, where he's bringing them. So sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. Right? Declares the Lord. God has a plan. His plan is to build up his people and to bring all his people back together and that he would live right in the middle of us, that he would be the glory among us, and that he would be the wall of fire around us so that we don't even need the walls, right? But he says there's measuring. <laughs> there's measuring that needs to go on. And you guys, that picture of that city is just a, it's a, a big picture of like a small of what we are. Because God's plan for you is that he would bring everything back together and that he would be living in your midst and he would be the wall of fire that's protecting you. Okay, that's his plan. But there are times, there's sometimes that it has everything to do with the measurements, it has everything to do with his plan, but sometimes there are things that we measure out and we, use, we measure against the wrong things. We measure with the wrong units of measurement and we wonder what's going on, what's going on, and what's going wrong with our lives. So God sends in a new measuring, right? Today's message is titled A New Measure. Father, this morning, uh, we're going to need ears open again to you because it really matters what you say. We have a lot of ideas and plans and we have a lot of perspectives. We look at our lives. We spend a lot of time thinking about our lives, thinking about what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. We, have a, uh, we spend a lot of time measuring stuff out. But God, none of it's going to matter if we don't, if we don't have the right, the right yardstick, if we, don't have, if we don't have the right things we're measuring against, we're, it's just it's not it's not, it's not going to come together the way that you intended. And so, Lord, today, I, I just pray that you would come in and just, um, God, I, I just, it's like a picture of us just taking, we take our yardsticks, we throw them in the fire, we just get rid of them. They're not worth it anymore. And instead, 
We let you bring in these things through your angels, through your people, through, God, you're gonna be talking to us about it. Just you bring in these new measures. God, help us to see those. Help us to let go of the stuff that is not helping us. Talked about that last week, God. Why would we keep doing the things that haven't helped the generations before? Why would we keep doing them now? So God, instead, help us to look to Jesus. Help us to look to you. Help us to look to your spirit, the plan that you have, so we might find that life that you intended for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. Uh, The first house that Carrie and I owned uh, was in central Kansas, um, people would ask, where in Kansas did you live? And I said, you know that big barren part you drive through in the middle? And they said, yeah, right there. Because that's, that's pretty much Kansas. It was a town of about 3,000 if you counted um, all of the dogs and the cats and the squirrels. Uh, so it was a smaller town. But we had this home. We bought this home, and it was a great house for us. It was a great home for us. But it was a, a fixer-upper, so there were projects that we had to do. And one of the projects that we got into was, um, was the siding, because the siding was original. So by this point, it was about 50-something years old. And uh, it was getting pretty, pretty shabby. You know, the only thing holding it together was probably the paint that was on it. And you kept coating the paint on, hoping it would, you know, one more coat of latex would kind of bind that stuff together. So we, we, we decided to go for it. Our, our, we had a neighbor who was in construction, and he said, hey, this, this project is well within your, your abilities. Um, I don't know that he knew who he was talking to, but... Um, <laughs> He said, and I'll be right here, and I'll have the tools for you if you need them. So um, you can borrow those. And so I I said, okay. So um, we purchased the siding. He gave me this quick tutorial, and and I was off. Now, uh, one of the things that he showed me how to do was he showed me how to, when you're coming up to a window, you usually have a piece that's going to straddle that window. You have some that you can cut pieces off on either side, but you have one that you have to notch out. So you have to figure out how to get that notch. And to get it right, you have to turn the piece of siding upside down because when the, when the uh, saw pulls, it'll pull the burrs all in because otherwise it's going to look all jagged and, and, and really bad. And so he said, you know, that's one. But when you do that, you have to measure everything kind of backwards from what you thought you can tell where this is going, right? Um, you got to measure everything backwards from what you thought because it's essentially you have it upside down and backwards now, and so you got to measure everything kind of opposite. And so I go, okay, okay, I got it. You know, I, I got a good mind. I can keep up with this. Put down the first piece, and so you, you measure it out, right? And you think about it, you measure it out. You measure it again because you always measure twice, right? So you only have to cut once. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> So I measure it again, and then I think about it again to make sure, okay, so I turn it back, okay, I measure it out, okay, and then I cut. Sure enough, nope, wrong, dead wrong, right? So I wanted to cut something on slightly to the right of center, turn it upside down, it's okay, okay. cut it, put it up there just to the left of center. Okay, so I try another board, right? And this time I take the other one, the one that I got wrong, I said, okay, I know it needs to be opposite of that. So I said, okay, okay, and I cut it out, Still wrong. I, I have a whole pile of boards over here, right, that are starting to pile up. With, in fact, I hated when he came over and he'd ask me how things are going because I knew he'd look over and he'd see this pile of boards with all these notches in them that were just wrong, and he'd know exactly what was going on. So y- y- you look at that and you go, okay, so what, what was the problem there, right? Because I had, I had the right materials, right? I had the right tools. I had the right measuring desi- device, so it wasn't a matter of like tablespoons and teaspoons stuff. It was, I had the right stuff, but I still, I'm getting it all wrong. So what was the problem? Well, I just didn't know what I was doing, right? That was the problem. So there are times that we're fearful when we see somebody grab the wrong measuring device, 
and come in to do a job, right? But there are also times that we're fearful because we see somebody grabbing all the right tools, but you're thinking, that's just the wrong person, right? So I, I, like if, if I came over and said, listen, let me side your house, you can be certain that's a, that's a wrong choice. That's just a bad choice all the way around. I have proof of it and sitting in central Kansas. But um, in Zechariah, we have this picture that God gives. And, and all these, um, there are two times that God has people coming to measure things out. One is this picture of this angel. He's coming with this measuring line. And he's measuring out Jerusalem because God is doing this project to set up the place where he will dwell with his people. And uh, then later in chapter four, it says that this, there's this king, that's the king of his people, Zerubbabel. And he is uh, coming, and it says that he's coming and he's carrying a plumb line. Now, a measuring device, is, a measuring line is for measuring the length and width. A plumb line is to, to determine are the walls straight, are the angles you know, the right ones. And so he's carrying the plumb line. And in both of these cases, it says that you had the right person with the right tools in the right situation, had the right ability so they could do this job that God wanted done and do it right. In fact, in chapter four of Zechariah, it says when God saw Zerubbabel coming with the plumb line, it said that God was actually glad to see that it was finally Zerubbabel coming because there had been many that might have gone before that tried to build this house before, but it hadn't worked out. He was glad to see the right person. And so here are these two things that are addressing this very thing. They have the right tools. They have the right measuring devices, right? It's the right people with the right skills to be able to do this. Now, there are times that God sends those people in our life and we still have problems. And this is where I want to kind of land a little bit today. Not land, but really kind of sit here for a little bit. What I want us to think about today is actually how do we, <laughs> how do we react, Right? When God sends somebody, even the right person with the right tools, to our life to do a reconstruction project, right? Because it doesn't matter sometimes. It doesn't matter if it's God. It doesn't matter if it's an angel, if it's a king. It doesn't matter. God himself comes, and he has all the right measuring tools, and you know he's the right person, but how do we respond when God says, yeah, I'm coming to do a, a renovation? We go, ah. Right, we 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 get a, we kind of flinch a bit, right? We we uh, we cringe a bit. We don't want that to happen. In fact, a lot of times, have you ever kind of uh, it may you know a prayer that you're saying to God, and you say, you know, God, I, I think I'm okay. I'm okay with how things are. You ever said that to God? You see what He wants to change, and you're not sure you want to go through that whole process. If you've ever went through a home res a renovation, you know when we were putting the siding on, our home was a wreck for a long time, especially with me doing it. But have you done that, where you remodel or something, and your home's just a disaster? You put up with a bathroom for a long time before you decide to change it because you know what that's going to be like. When we see God coming with the tools for for renovation, we go, ah, I'm good. The problem is, is that we're really not good. We're not fine with it like it is, are we? In fact, a lot of times our prayers to God are, God, why isn't my life working? God, why, why am I not that space that you, where you say that you want to come and show your glory, that you want to dwell in, in the midst of my life? Why, why is my life not that one? Why 
Why do I seem to pour so much effort into things and have so, so little that comes of it? So little to show for it. Those are oftentimes our prayers. So we're not really fine with it. But we say, what's, what's wrong there? Well, it's because not just we, we have the right person, right, to do the job. We have the right, we have the right measuring tools and measurements and, and supplies and everything else. But our measurement of what's going on is totally off. Our evaluation of what's worthwhile or what's worth the price or what's worth the cost, our evaluation is off. We're using the wrong kind of measuring device to say, is this, is this worth? We're using the wrong scales in that case to say, is, it, is, the, is the cost to me going to be worth the, the outcome? And we're getting it wrong. If we ever want to have a life or a church or a relationship or a career or a calling or a ministry that is embedded with the very presence and power and glory of God. How many of you guys would like that? I'm asking you to raise your hands and you guys go, I don't know if I want to raise my hand. (laughs) Raise your hand in your heart. If we ever want a place where God makes his home, where God blesses everything that our feet, our hands, our life touches, then we need to go with his choice of the people that he chooses. We need to go with his choice of the project that he chooses. We need to go with the choice, his choice of the measuring, that, that plumb line, that measuring line that he chooses, he chooses to measure with. And you guys, when it, comes to, when it comes to God, he has only one measuring line. Only one. There's only one thing that he holds our life up to and that he is using as a template, and that's his son, Jesus. That's it. Doesn't matter, you know, whether you're, you're looking for what angels use in the heavenly places to do their work. It doesn't matter if you're looking for what kings that are called by God use to do their work on the earth. God has one plumb line. Jesus, God's son, is the one who gives us the right measurement. He gives us the right perspectives. He gives us the right definitions. He gives us the right interpretations. He is the only one that God uses. Um, there's some verses in, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and many times we've, we've, we've you know, some of you guys, have, I know, have memorized these. But it would do, do us good to have these kind of verses that are regularly, like, emblazoned. I mean, they're just taped to our steering wheel, right? Or they're, like, in a big, in the center of your mirror, so when you wake up in the morning, you look, that's the first thing that you see. Or tattoo it on your forehead, you know? Um, make sure that everybody knows what you're shooting for, right? But uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He'll make your paths straight. He'll make your walls straight. He'll help you to see straight. He will, he will make your paths straight because he is God's plumb line. He is God's only plumb line. Okay. Zechariah 4. The king's coming, he has the plumb line. And it says that God is just excited to see him. God is glad to see him. And we go, well, why? Why is he so special? What is it about Zerubbabel 
that made God glad. Zechariah 4.10 specifically says this. This is where we get this idea. That because I want a life where God's glad to see me, right? Don't you? Right? When I show up, that I show up to kind of help out with a project or do the thing he's called me to, I want God to be glad I showed up. So Zechariah 4.10, it says, These seven were glad when they saw the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And these, these seven, are the, the eyes of the Lord that range to and fro throughout the earth. And you're going, seven eyes? What are we talking about, right? Prophets have weird stuff they throw at us every once in a while. Zechariah is just like this, seven eyes. Going, well, it comes from a different story. It's about a different king. It comes from hundreds of years earlier, but it was one of the first kings of Judah. It was a guy named Asa. And Asa followed God. And Asa was faithful to God, and he led Israel in, in a, a faithful way, Judah, in a faithful way. And they would go into these battles where they were against millions, and they had their thousands, and God would rout these armies um, because they trusted him. And uh, Asa, he goofed up, saw this happen a couple of times, and then he decided, I need to make alliances if I'm ever going to pull off this thing. He saw God route huge armies twice, and he still kind of falls back. And we do that all the time too, right? We see God do amazing things, and we still go, ah, not sure I can trust this guy, right? Um, well, in 2 Chronicles 16.9, uh, the, the prophet there is coming to Asa, and he says these words. He says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth. So these are the eyes that, that Zechariah is now talking about, right? But he says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is wholly his, completely his. And he was saying, Asa, your heart was his. And because of that, God could just show his glory through you. And he says, and now you're going to have wars because you, you're, you've given that up, started covering that heart up. And here's, that, here's Zerubbabel, and he's showing up, and why is God glad to see him? Because he knows this is the one whose heart is wholly his. This is the one through whom he can show his glory, that he can get this job done to bring in the glory of, of God's people and the glory of the city. And in his hand, so funny, because he's, he's actually in the line of Jesus, right? Because he's a child of David. He's on down that ride, that, that line. And so Zerubbabel is on his way. So in his hand is actually the, not just this plumb line for this project, but it's the only plumb line that God ever uses. He knows that he is building something, and he's building something that God knows is on the way to, this, to the salvation of the world, to Jesus Christ. So the question for us is, can we say that about the project that God's doing in our life? Can we say that same thing? Are we the right person with the right heart that's wholly his? Are we putting to use that one, the only instrument that he ever uses to measure, the only person that would use Jesus? Are we going at the right project, which is that God would be in us and that he would be surrounding us and that he would be showing his glory through us? Is that really the project that, that we're aiming for? Because it says that that is... <laughs> That is where God is. God gets excited about it. God gets glad when he sees someone show up like that. And we read that first, uh, that passage out of Zechariah 2, and it says that we can then sing for joy and be glad because I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. I will be dwelling with you. That's what the passage is about. 
What do we do with it? I think there are three areas that we need to focus on. We need to really think about when we think about this project that God's doing in our lives. The first one is this. I think there are places that we kind of, we fudge a little when it comes to this project. And those are the areas that God just wants us to look and, and kind of come back. When he talks about repentance and he says, turn back to what I called you to. You know, in Revelation, it says, come back to your first love, right? He says to Israel, come back to me. If you return, that was the first words of Zechariah. If you will return to me, I'll return to you, okay? So he says, come, come back to what I, so, so if we look and we see this, this isn't about you being condemned by, oh yeah, I'm messing up again. No, it's God calling and saying, I'm just showing you this so that you can come back. Because his intent is to set up in us so that he might show himself through us. And not just individuals, but as a, as a community, in our community, I mean, he wants to show himself through us and to us. So the first area is this. The first area is how at times <laughs> we skimp on our devotion, right? right? We skimp on that whole heart thing. Like I said at the beginning, and this is why I want to say it, because this one, this one really kills us with the guilt and the condemnation piece, doesn't it? it, it you know, we go, oh yeah, yeah, I don't love Jesus enough, right? God gave you when you met his son, he gave you a new heart. Of course you weren't able to keep up devotion-wise because in, in ourselves, we're just, we're horrible. God had to give us a new, a new heart. BJ was talking about this mustard seed. God said, if you have a mustard seed of faith, you can move a mountain. Well, who gives us the mustard seed? He does, he plants it. We don't have it in us. He plants it in us. He gives us everything we need, plus he gives us everything we need to be able to follow him so that we can have everything we need, right? So he gives us this new heart but sometimes we cover this thing up. And so I, I, I came up with this analogy. You're going to love it. I, I know you're going to love it. It has all kinds of numbers. In it. Okay, no. Whole milk, right? Imagine a whole heart is whole milk. Whole milk has 3.25% milk fat. Well, sometimes we're not whole milk, are we, when it comes to devotion? Sometimes we're 2% milk, aren't we? Right? It has most of it. Most of the devotion, so it's like 60% devotion. He has 60% of our heart, and that's pretty good. But there's a big chunk miss missing, right? Sometimes, no, sometimes we're like 1% milk, right? So we're just hanging just under the, one, the halfway mark. We, we give him somewhere, I mean, it's a big chunk of our stuff. We're pretty proud of ourselves because we've given Jesus so much. We give him a lot of room, but there are things we want to hang on to. Right? There are things that we want to stay in control of. There are things that, and sometimes they're bad things, sometimes they're good things. Sometimes it's like, I want to hang on to that bitterness that I have, because I just, I, that's really important to me, because I really do hate that person, right? And we hang on to it. Sometimes it's good stuff. We're like, I know God wants me to go over here, but I really like what I'm doing over here. Sometimes it's one, sometimes we're skim milk, <laughs> right? Uh, three to 10%, and God's just, you know, he's just lucky as anyway of me, right? Any of my heart at all. I go to church, I'm good sometimes. You know, I'm nice to people once in a while. So, but then we have this question, so why the eyes of the Lord keep passing by? Because we know that we were made for him to show his glory through us. And we know, if we look down there, we know that he's given us a heart that's capable of being wholly his, gave it to us. So it's not a matter we don't have the heart, it's a matter we just cover it up. Cover it with all kinds of stuff. So I need you to, coming back is just uncover that thing. 
Sometimes we skimp on devotion. Sometimes, sometimes we use God's plumb line kind of as a backup. You know what I'm talking about in our lives, right? God's calling you to be a certain way, do a certain thing, and you know, it's really be like Jesus, right? But we kind of, we, we don't go with the plumb line. We kind of go with our, kind of hold our thumb up and we go, okay, yeah, that looks about square. Squint a little more. Yeah, that's good, right? And we know that if we held up that plumb line, man, uh, it, wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be there, right? We know that when we meet Jesus, there's two things that come into play. And, and man, um, this is like a bonus. And I'm just going to throw out there because it just, God just opened this up yesterday. It was funny. Um, many of us were raised in traditions where you spend a lot of time looking at Jesus hanging on the cross. And the point was so that you would be, feel bad enough about what we had done to him that then he could take you and you, you'd kind of let down your defenses and then he could make you good enough you know, for the sacrifice that he made. Um, we don't have a Jesus on the cross because there is no Jesus on the cross. He rose. Okay? The cross is how we get to the life. We don't see... The cross isn't the place where you see the fullness of the love of God. It's after the cross where he comes to you with the results of the cross and applies those to your life and says, I love you now in fullness and nothing stands in the way. That's when the love of God overwhelms us. It's not that we feel bad enough about what, we can never feel bad enough about what, what happened to Jesus, what we, our part in it. We can't ever feel bad enough. There is no bottom to that pit and you'll never get out of it. God never intended for you to live in that pit. Now, he may strike you with that because it brings you into an understanding, but where you find his love is on the other side of that, where you lay down some of this stuff that you say, you know, I think I'm good without him. You lay all that down. You lay all the stuff that covers up your heart. You lay that down at the cross because he can take care of it because of the cross, but you move on. and You move into the life that God called you to. You move into that, that life of resurrection of Easter, after Easter, Right? Do you guys understand that? We fix our eyes on Jesus. He's, his, he's God's only plumb line. I, I will never be able to kind of measure. Again, it's, it's me being able to control that. But life under God's plumb line, being, being evaluated by Jesus, is a life that, where I'm not trying to control that plumb line to have it say what I want it to say. I am letting it tell me what I need to know. I'm letting him tell me what I need to know. I'm letting his word tell me what I need to know. Philippians 3, 3, 8 says this. You know what? I count all things to be a loss, all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash to be taken out as garbage, as rubbish, so that I might gain him. Right? He's the only thing. He's the only measuring tool we need. He's the only, he's, he is the, he's the only template that God is conforming us to his image. He's not trying to conform Jesus to fit our image. He is conforming us to his. And so making sure that we don't count that plumb line is kind of God's plumb line as a backup. Third one is this. There are a lot of times that we lose perspective. We lose perspective. Sometimes we forget 
that this life is just a shadow of the life that he's calling us into, right? This life is just a shadow of the life. Sometimes it's easy to live in Jerusalem and think what you see and all the hustle and bustle that you see going around in the economy. And, you know, this is where Esau got off. You know, he was like, okay, we're starting to make it in the world. We're starting to kind of move up the ranks of military powers and stuff. And now we got to start playing the games the way they they do, as if this life were the real life instead of realizing that the following Jesus is what the real life is, and there's a life that actually is the life that's like light compared to that shadow. We will never understand light if all we do is chase after and study the shadows. We just won't, right? We will never understand the life that God calls us to if all we're doing is trying to chase a good life here, period. Now, he says sometimes that life, that light will spill over and it'll bless, you know, what we have going on here and and all that. He says, don't lose perspective on what's important. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says this. If you have been raised up with Christ, right? Okay, new heart, all that. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So it kind of comes full circle, doesn't it? Because (laughs) the eyes of the Lord are out there. They're going to and fro throughout the earth. And what he's seeking is someone whose heart is wholly his. And who has a heart that's wholly his is the one whose eyes and heart are fixed on Jesus, right? God's trying to fix his eyes on us, trying to find the one with the one whose eyes are fixed on him. He says, that's the, only, that's the only way to measure this thing out. If you want to know if it's long enough and high enough, if you want to know if things are square, you hold it up to those measurements. You hold it up to Jesus. You hold it up. You get rid of the stuff. You just unload the stuff that's not getting you there. How does that look? Well, you know, in our relationships, you know, are you, are you evaluating how you are entering this relationship? Are you running stuff through him? Are you, are you running stuff through his word? The way that you're chasing your, your, um, you know, your, your career, your job, and you're just going out, am I running it by him? Am I running it through him? Is this something that's making me more like Jesus, or is it not? Because if it's not, it needs, to go to, it needs to die. It needs to be done with, in the fire, into the, right? He's the only measure that he uses. It's the only measure that can be used to build a life where God will indwell it. God will make his home in it. You guys, I, I know a lot of times we, we take these messages and we take them to be personal, and they are. They're for us as individuals. But I want us to know this is also about us as a, as a community, as a church. Unless we have, you know, <laughs> unless our heart is wholly his, everything that we do, you know, we're tested in that every week. We're tested in that every day. We're tested in our relationships with, another, with one another. But unless, unless we belong to Jesus, unless he's the only plumb line that we hold up and we say, no, this has, to, this has to meet God's standard in him, right? And unless we keep our eyes fixed on him, eyes fixed on the things above, not on these things on earth, we don't need to be a great church as far as the world's concerned. I don't, I don't care about that. What I would love to be is a place where Jesus lives, right, who becomes a great church in his economy, 
that for whatever reason and whatever use he has for us, that he is able to do it here because these hearts are wholly his. And we'll chase him anywhere. We will lock our eyes on him and he's able to lock his eyes on us because he's given us that heart. Has he not? Has he not? 